Hey everybody, it is episode 16 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris, and as always, Steve is joining me. Hey Steve. Hello people. And we have not one, but two very special guests today. Jen Harney, who's our training director and coach for Team Rogue in Cedar Park. Welcome, Jen. Thank you, Chris. We have Mallory Brooks with us, who is our trail coach at Rogue and also the race director for Spectrum Trail Races. Hello. Welcome, Mallory. So we are going to be talking about a very, very important topic, which is women and running today. And the realities that women face as they run and train that might be different than men. We're talking about this for a couple of reasons. One, because men need to hear it, too. So that they can better understand and empathize or at least sympathize with some of the challenges that women face that men just don't face. So for the men out there that are listening, please don't shut it off. Force yourself to listen. There may be some awkward things that we talk about <laughs> that are uncomfortable <laughs> for you, including me, but I want you to stick it out. This is for men and women. Secondly, for women, a lot of these things that we're going to cover, including some of the women's health related issues, is... They just aren't talked about, talk about very often and certainly not talked about in an open forum on a podcast. So we're going to dig into it and not be afraid to cover anything. So with that as our brief intro to our main topic, we're going to jump into, as we always do, some current events with running. This past weekend, we had the, Rogue, the first event in the Rogue Trail Series, the race we call the Maze out at Walnut Creek Park. It's the only venue that has been a venue since the very beginning right steve that's correct yeah, it's the first race we put on it, rogue trail series precedes rogue training systems or rogue running so uh, uh yeah and in fact rogue running is named after the rogue trail series um i had wished that i hadn't stolen my own thunder for the race <laughs> but we kept both going and it, i think it served us pretty well in terms of people Knowing the kind of race we put on, um, Mallory likes to give me a little shit for uh, putting on a quick and dirty trail race, um, but we have a lot of fun doing it, and we had some of uh, probably our best turnout this year, and we also had some amazing races, which I'm we assuming did. we're going to talk a we little are, bit about. We had over 300 runners out there competing in both the 10K and the 30K. We'll start with the 30K on the men's side. It was much more spread out. You had the winner was Moses Luvano, who's a former SFA, Stephen F. Austin collegiate runner. And Steve and I both saw him after the first 5K and thought he was going to blow his own wheels because he went out really hard and definitely took it to the field, but held on strong. Michael Kervash, who <clears throat> finished second, who won the Rogue Trail Series last year and won the Maze last year, ended up two minutes back. And he started to gain a little bit at the very end as Moses ran out of gas, but he he had too much to make up. Yeah, Josh Beckham, who races with the Spectrum Trail team, came in third to finish out the podium. And, of course, our man, Paul Terranova, in, in doing this, he did a four-hour run that day. He started with 90-minute warm-up and then raced the race to finish fourth in a very impressive Holding time. Holding hands with two, Troy Bertram. Yeah, two and a half hours. So, so that race was impressive because... Moses and Michael just went out hard. Moses finished in a very, very solid 213, which for 30K on the trail is is no joke. Yeah, they had pretty warm weather. It was so much nicer on Saturday than it was on Sunday. The humidity was pretty tough. And when we went out and marked the course, we were out there at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and it was drizzling and nasty. So um, one of the funniest things I saw in the race, uh, Moses on his second loop uh, comes running through this uh, twisty turny section that's relatively new that the mountain bikers out at have, have created out there and 
he I noticed that he stopped and put something on the ground. I didn't know what the heck he was doing. And I look over and it's his insoles. It was the first time he wore these ultra trail shoes. And he didn't realize that all insoles pretty much need a little bit of imprintation in order for them to be to work for you. And he had a little who was the marathoner who had his insoles fly out in the middle of the race? It's the Kenyan guy. Yeah, the, the Kenyan guy. guy. Yeah, he uh he Moses had a little bit of that. He actually stopped, took his shoes off, pulled the insoles out and set them on the ground. And after the race he said to me, Yeah, do you know where those are? I said, Yeah, they're actually five minutes down the trail. Let me go grab them <laughs> for you. So he ran in he ran out of his own insoles. So there you go. He had a great race. And I'm pretty sure Michael was a little shocked at that. He won last year, hands down, and I remember watching michael run that race last year and i looked over at mallory and i said is this guy real i mean i'm not even sure he didn't look like a runner he wears long shorts and he wears basketball shorts he didn't stop for water he did not have trail <laughs> he shoes looks on. like he's like he yeah. took no handheld basketball court yeah it took no handhelds did nothing, nothing. yeah and uh he, he got beat this time yeah he did he did <laughs> but he was gaining at the end so congrats to moses michael and josh that podium on the women's side of the 30k rogue team rogue member amy baker won going away it was actually an interesting race, really close through the halfway point through 15K. I was at the water station and there was four women within about a minute, maybe even less of each other at that point. Amy was running second coming out of that water station, but she pretty much blew everybody away on the last half of the course and won by close to five minutes. So Amy Baker, uh, Team Rogue member one, Sam Godbold and Taylor Clark finished out the podium on the women's side. Also impressive results. Yeah, super happy to see Amy <coughs> back rolling um she's been dealing with some injury issues and i know she was super happy to be able to get um you know 18 miles worth of, of work in and uh and and to get the win to boot so congrats to her and congrats to all those you know that there's a 30k isn't that long a race but for some reason out there with a three loop bottle it can get a little challenging mentally for people to manage they they get a little wonky that last loop no matter where no matter how fast or slow they're running so um congrats to those folks you know the 10k um it's a different beast you have to run so fast to stay in the race and uh the course is tough to to run fast on um uh, this one's better to run fast on than any of the other ones we have but it's it's not an easy format 10k on a trail and the 10ks were close if you look at the men's podium top three were separated by seven seconds through the 5k they were running back to back to back through the aid station. And so congrats to Joey. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Prisabilla. Prisabilla, I believe Prisbilla. is how you say it. Mike Threadgold got second, two seconds back. And then Paul Rademacher, who trains in my group, the morning show, rounded out the podium on the men's side. So super close. They came through in exactly that order <laughs> through the 5K aid station. And it stayed that way. But uh, Paul said he took it out in the lead and ended up getting past about mile two by those two guys. And then just didn't have anything left to kick them down at the end yeah it was at the halfway point we were standing there chris and it was it was amazing to see them all there were five there was two seconds separating each of them going through the 5k um and then to see three of them almost with the exact same positioning coming with eight 600 meters to go or so was pretty cool you could tell that joey had the win he could tell he was sort of holding ground and no one else was able to make a move on him really and paul over that last 600 was definitely getting a little a little tight i was proud of him for <laughs> holding it all together but <laughs> it was a fun race to watch he did well that was his second race in as many weeks he pr'd in the 5k last weekend so i was impressed that he had so much to give in the 10k there on the women's side for the 10k four seconds separated the top two and we had a rogue podium sweep there with Kate Barrett, former rogue AC athlete, 
and who trains with us. Kristen Tucker who trains with Steve at Team Rogue, and then Katie Gwen who trains with Steve and Team Rogue from Mondo Sports rounded out the podium. So clean, clean sweep on the ro- for the Rogues on the women's 10K. Yeah, and they were, and you know, Kate went out fast in this race. Um, Sam Labrie, who uh, writes a blog about called uh, Armadillo Running. Uh, did a little interview with Kate to discuss how she ran her race and how the race went. And she said she knew she had to get out fast. Um, I don't think she really expected to see Kristen on her on her tail since Kristen was running her very first trail race of her life and had really only run her first trail runs of her life with us up at Camp Elevation recently in the last <laughs> two weeks. She had decided in a rather short order that she was suddenly a trail runner. But uh, um, they had a great race. And, you know, Kate's... Wiley Kate, the veteran, um, definitely knew how to place her and position herself to keep the win um, and uh, had it pretty much in check the whole way. Although she did mention that at four miles or so, if Kristen had come around her, she wasn't sure she could hold her off. So it's good for athletes to know and recognize that even if you lo- someone looks invincible in front of you, they're always beatable. But um, She was running scared, she said, Kate. Yes, well, well, as the best position to be in. <laughs> <laughs> but she held on, so... Congrats to those three ladies, Kate, Kristen, and Katie. You know, also we had uh, uh, one of our guests who uh, ran a 10K of a 10K loop out there <laughs> as part of a relay, Jen Harney. Yes. Ran, Jen. I think, would have been the third fastest or fourth fastest time of the day solo, completely by herself. She's sort of in the coming back from her marathon, but shout out to Jen for a good, Thank solid you. effort. You, yeah. you got Sometimes you got to look deep down in the results <laughs> to see some of that stuff. But I saw her coming around the corner at one point, and she was definitely handling and I could tell she was running for something more than just an easy run. So, <laughs> congrats. Yeah, I watched their, I watched them all come through. I knew when, I yeah, I kind of wanted. To, <laughs> she knew where she was. Yeah, I did. I, <laughs> she wanted to compete. I did. I did until I I passed Chris at the five k, and then I looked down at my watch and saw like nine. 30 and was like, uh, never mind. <laughs> 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 Just don't hurt. You were moving though. <laughs> Anytime Jen steps out on the starting line, you know she's gonna give it. So. Congrats to all those podium finishers from from the maze, and of course to everybody who finished. For those that might be interested in looking at this, the rest of the races in the series, we've got the Tangle coming up, Flat Creek Ranch on April 30th, and then the Ranch out at Reveille Ranch on May 28th, Memorial Day Sunday. So those are definitely more challenging if you like some some terrain. But they're still super beginner friendly. Um, <coughs> the environment is really relaxed and laid back. The Roots are extremely well marked, um, maybe too well marked, yes. uh, <laughs> but extremely well marked. And um, I think that's one of the major concerns people have who are roadies who might be looking at tapping into the trail a little bit, that maybe they'll get turned around or lost. And that's certainly not going to happen at one of our races. Um, so uh, super beginner friendly. And if anybody's thinking about um, jumping into them, holler at us and we'll we'll give you any updates or any uh, info you need about it. Yep, you can find out all of that information at roguetrailseries.com or you can link to it from our main site, roguerunning.com. I also feel like they're worried about getting injured, and I'd like to point out we had a pretty clean first race. Yes, no injuries. It's cer- knock on knock plastic. On, <laughs> knock on plastic. But uh, we, we, all, we had a bad track record last year. We had someone who got seriously injured, so we were very happy to have everybody come through cleanly. Um, and uh, she came back. Yeah, she does. Oh, yeah, for this, sure. Yeah. Yep. After breaking her leg. Yes. yes. Our worst injury at this race was a girl that tripped over the start line at the start. Yeah. And <laughs> ran and the entire thing with massively bloody knees. 
and she <laughs> was mad. And she was mad at herself. She was embarrassed <laughs> and mad. Uh, that's Melissa Molman. She's been a she's been in rogue programs in the past. I think, and she's a. Uh, we were uh, happy to see her finish and have yeah. a, at least a decent run of it. Even though I know she's probably still nursing some wounds there. Yeah. So that's the Rogue Trail series. Now the other thing that we need to talk about, and this is going to get back to our mission, Steve, to educate the casual fan about what they need to be knowing about their sport. And, and that's that the greatest foot race on the planet happened this past weekend in world cross country championships in Uganda. Before we dive into the results, tell us Steve, why it's the greatest race on the planet. Because milers will race marathoners, five Kers will race 10 Kers, and everybody will be running the same race on the same day at the same time and therefore crowning a champion. Um, Cross-country in the United States as well as around the world is sort of a formative sport where people first come to running. High schoolers and junior high kids mostly find their way to cross-country at some point in time um, and such a beautiful and amazing race. And one of the coolest things about it this year was they decided for the first time to lengthen the women's race and shorten the men's race so they both were running 10K at the same time, which to me is kudos to the IAAF for finally recognizing there needs to be no separation and no difference between the men's and women's races. And I think the women will women's results will become more and more impactful because people will be able to make comparisons and contrasting where they are positioned in equal equally just like we do in road races and marathons and things like that and that's been a very big frustration of mine for many years as I coach collegiately and even in high school it's like mm -hmm. so frustrating the women used to run 6k and the men would run 10k or the women would run 8k and the men would run 12k at international and it just never made sense to me why we're running 10ks and 5ks in the Olympics right. in the marathon but we're not running it together at the sa running the same not going to run together in the same race but we're going to run the same distance so that's super cool um, and the races were, the races had a lot of drama for yes. sure. <laughs> and that's the beauty of cross is that the clock doesn't matter. It is about the race. We'll start with the women's side this time. And I think you could argue that the Kenyan women had the most dominant cross country performance ever. They had not only the top three runners to sweep the podium, but they also had the next three as well. So first through sixth, all Kenya and, of course, they ran away with the team win with the perfect score because the top four runners score in this format. So they dominated the women's race. And Cheptai, also the winner, the female winner, she's also the Kenya national champion, has a bright future. She's pretty fairly young and is someone to look for as you look to perhaps the road half or full distances. Yeah, historically, <clears throat> both the men's and women's side, the Kenyans are the dominant force at the, at the World Cross Country Championships. They have been really since the late 80s. Um, I think when John Nagugi won his four straight in a row, um, it sort of was a big wake-up call to the rest of the world that the Kenyans were going to be real, for real and real. So, uh yeah, the women's race was pretty impressive when your perfect score is extremely hard to do. I don't think it's ever been done at the world level. Um, it's just mind-boggling ass assortment of, of, of racing and, and just crazy to think about getting a perfect score. It's not... Especially uh, at that level. A perfect score, even at the high school level, is almost undoable unless you're at a district meet or a, right. or your own home meet yes. or something like that. So to have it happen at the highest level where everyone's gunning for each other, uh, it's it's just crazy it's crazy result so 
the U.S. women, I think, had a solid result. They were fifth, first on non-African team, and a couple of the U.S. women are worth mentioning. You had Kenyan-born Alephine Tillamook, who got 15th. She was the first U.S. finisher. But then a couple that, uh, in this case, I'd prefer to talk about. Stephanie Bruce mm-hmm. was our second American finishing in 22nd. She's a Wazelle runner, has run the marathon distance for quite some time now. Has two kids, so she's a mom, and it's great to see her finish in the top 25 on this stage. And then Natasha Rogers finished 23rd right behind her teammate. Shout out to the Aggies. And, uh, yeah, Natasha Rogers is probably a little-known name among most circles, but is definitely a name you should remember. She finished second in the trials in 2012. Didn't make the Olympic team because she didn't have the standard, but she won the NCAAs that was a great in the race. 10K. And then because of injuries and some other issues, kind of got away from running for a while, but is now back. And it's great to see her finish 23rd and stamp her mark as somebody to be to watch you know again uh, when she moves to the marathon it's over she's she'll like emily sisson she's going to be she's specifically cut i watched she's built to be a marathoner i watched her throughout her years at uh, texas a&m she ran right down the street while i was coaching at ut and uh that that girl has uh, the most tenacious fight and she's a absolute racer and seeing her get back to a hel- into a healthy position and competitive again i think um americans should be paying close attention the world should be claim- paying close attention to tasha rogers you're gonna hear be definitely be hearing from her soon so on the so that's the women's side on the men's side you had an epic head-to-head battle between the homeborn or host race you know country team uh josh cheptaigi he went out in what was only described by the guy who ended up winning as suicidal pace, had the lead by 12 seconds going into the final 2K loop, but was ultimately passed by Jeffrey Comroer, who won last year and is the first to repeat for the World Cross title since Bekele did it in 2006. He was also really everyone's prohibitive favorite in the 10,000 for the Olympic Games this past year in Rio. But he just came into it. We found out later he had some illness issues that had uh, that had gotten to him in the weeks prior. He didn't adjust training appropriately, and then came in super flat. They let him the Kenyan. He didn't. They don't even think he was top three at the Kenyan trials. I think they put him in the team because of his because they wanted him to run well, but he just didn't get back. So great to see him running at a great level. I'll tell you what. If you get a chance to do a little, Chris can probably uh, link the the video of YouTube video of um, the Ugandan gentleman's uh, demise over the final uh, 2K or so. I don't think I've ever seen a runner more in pain and suffering than I saw this guy and the crowd. Also, I don't think I've ever heard a club cross country, I mean a world cross country race be so loud. You can hear the Ugandans just yelling and screaming and cheering and doing their, (laughs) it's crazy. It was like super energy. And then of course he's, when he's dying over the end, they're like cheering for him to get to the finish. Uh, super dramatic finish. I think he ended up 20th or something. 30th. 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 So, he dropped from first to 30th in the final 2K. Yeah. That, so you can imagine it was tough. But if you want to watch a little running horror, um, watch it. But, of course, you'll probably dream about it in, at some point in time. When you when you see that, you think, that's what my dream is in that last 100 meters when 18 <laughs> people come by me in that recurring dream that I can never get out of my head that I even have now that I'm not racing hardly at all and I still wake up in the middle of the night going, how many guys beat me in the last hundred? I can't move. I'm, warm, I'm moving through like mud. And yeah. the guy looks like he he's pogoing up and down, leaning backwards and 
buckling has legs buckling and you when you look at it you're like it was 75 degrees at at the start um and they run 10k and it was sunny and hot you could tell but man super drama in the world cross country championship and again uh you know i think the kenyan won again the Ugandans had made a bold claim even the americans made a bold claim um, well, the Ethiopian men won the team competition. Kenya ended up second. Oh, so I didn't. Yes, I, I, I but, guess I missed but, that part. Uh, yeah, Kenya had the first first two positions on the podium, and the Ethiopian finished third. But they they got the team win. But Uganda did hold on for the third for the bronze, and Josh Chebchegi ended up being finished thirtieth. But he was their last scorer, so every little bit of yeah. his result mattered to get them on the podium. Team USA was talking a big game. They went out hard, had two guys in the top six early in the race. Had a but, leader for a while. But fell to mm-hmm. fifth, um, first African again team. And so Career Leonard, Leonard Career, who had talked a big game and said that the U.S. could win the gold, ended up he ended up dropping to 20th after being in the top six. But but you got to give them credit for going for it. Yeah, right? and, and to thinking that they could win it. Um, I think that that's not something any American team has said um, in a long time. And we did have a better performance, was it two or three years ago, where we got third yep. at the at the World Cross Country Championships? Um, completely different makeup of the team now. We've got, um, and, and some people call this a controversy. I'm not sure it's quite a controversy. We and Chris can save long discussion <laughs> of this point to some other point. But I think most of the American team was all Kenyan, almost almost all but one or two of the members of our American four, team. Four were Kenyan-born. Four were Kenyan-born athletes. So that's a topic for another day. But, um, you know, we st- I still, regardless of how I feel about that, I also think it's great to see the Stars and Stripes up top, up front, running and going for it. They were only And they were only six points off the podium. So if they had run a more conservative race, they could have potentially been on the podium. But Career said, we're going for it. So they did, and you got to... You gotta get, gotta give them kudos for that. So congrats to Team USA, fifth in both team results there at, at World Cross. But hopefully we've given people just a tiny taste of that. But I'll link to that YouTube video because it is cool to watch the Ugandans going crazy for their country men. So with that, we've already spent too much time talking about cross country. Let's jump into <laughs> our main topic. And our guests are wondering what is going are, on. Are we going to get to be on this? Or are you just going to take over the show? Typical men. So, um, so we'll we'll jump into our main topic, which is women's running. And again, we've got Jen and Mallory joining us, both women runners and coaches that are going to help us talk through some of these things. And as I mentioned at the top, this is for men and women. Hopefully, we can demystify some things for the men out there that might not understand the realities that women face and some of the challenges they face with their training, but also hopefully help women who might be looking for some help on some of these topics. So with that, we're going to kind of split this into two chapters or discussions. One will be about women's health and related topics, and then we'll talk about women's training and some nuances there that might relate to women. Jumping into women's health, and we're just going to start Kind of get the most uncomfortable topic out of the way <laughs> right out of the gate. Yes. And as we were prepping for this, I was uncomfortable. Jen was laughing at me awkwardly. <laughs> but we're just going to jump into it. We're talking about women, periods, and running. Because, you know, bleeding like you guys do once a, once a month has got to be really challenging when it comes to training. And I don't think men really understand that. So let's talk about it. I'm going to go to you, Jen. 
<laughs> Here's the question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there a way to relate the experience you have going through your period while training to anything a man would would understand? Is it even possible? Well, maybe if you couldn't hold your bladder and you peed all over yourself all the time. Just after I, midnight I, and <laughs> eight or nine <laughs> beers. But no, other than that, no. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what it... When I first started my period, I was 12, and they said, you'll know when you start when it feels like you peed your pants. And okay. that's exactly... So uncontrollably peeing yourself. No, I mean, we have we have tampons, so it's not really... I've never found it to be a, a big ordeal, to be very honest about, except I want to know when I'm going to have it in regards to major races. And workouts, I assume. So let's talk mm, about that. Right. Yeah. How, how do you deal with having your period monthly and trying to manage either a race or a hard workout right. around it? Because does it affect you? I, I mean, aside from you. just it being like uncomfortable and now I have to worry about like, well, don't wear any light colored pants. Right. And because it not only is it now uncomfortable, but now everybody else knows I'm uncomfortable. But then there are also feelings of being like slightly weaker. Right. The like iron depletion and um, the moodiness that can right. come with it. Um, and I mean, cramps. It's sometimes. uncomfortable. I guess the best yeah. way I could describe it would be like having like a cramp in your leg but in your lower abdomen and you constantly feeling like you need to like hunch over so it's hard to hold that tall light and lean posture um just general everything feels lower you feel puffier your body's yeah. carrying more weight everything's puffier yeah so not only are you feeling down like mentally but now you're feeling like you're weighted down more because you are um so when i used to coach girls cross country and a girl would come up and she would say, coach, I can't run practice today. I just started my period. I would say, well, actually, did you know that when you're on your period, you can run faster? <laughs> and they were like, wait, really? That's true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not true at all. <laughs> mind games. It's not scientifically <laughs> true. No, it's not. But if you, if you start to believe that, then I don't know. Maybe it is true. Um, so... I think deep down I started telling athletes that and I just I just started assuming that that was real for me too. So I've never seen it as a big deal except for the shorts, like the color of shorts I'm going to wear and um, making sure I have extra supplies. <laughs> of course, I did do a race one time and I didn't and then I, I had to I had to quit the race. It was the only race I've ever quit. See, in trail running, you can just jump into the closest water source. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's a great. <laughs> so, so it's just a So nuisance. you're saying you you wouldn't make any changes in your workouts because of it? No, absolutely not. And what about racing? Would you do anything differently or? Well, this year, um, I knew that when the Austin Marathon was approaching that I was most likely going to be close to having my period. And I did... Um, increase my iron intake just just in case in advance yeah i normally don't take iron supplements i know i'm supposed to but i forget a lot of times and so i was mindful of actually taking my iron supplements just in case so i wouldn't be low 
But other than that, you're approaching it mentally like I can be stronger through yes, this. Yes, absolutely. I feel like as soon as you open that door of like using it as an excuse, then you've kind of opened yourself up to always being able to use it. Instead, just think about it as like not trying to hide it. I don't want to say that anybody should be like ashamed of it or but if as soon as I use it as an excuse, then I'm doing myself a disservice. Right. Okay, now are you, you are there any tips and tricks as it relates to managing some of the symptoms, cramping, bloating, any of that, or is that just figure it out? <laughs> Everybody has their tips. Everybody's so different; yeah. it's hard to know. Like okay. I don't have all those side effects. I I can only kind of tell you about ultra trail racing and how unfortunate that is because then you have to bring everything with you and you can dig a hole and poop in the woods. You can't dig a hole and throw a tampon or pad in the woods. So now there's this whole fun part of carrying a Ziploc bag and pack in, pack out. And this pack I paid extra for to be two ounces lighter is now no quarter pounder, <laughs> quarter pound heavier. <laughs> These are things men don't have to think about. Yeah. Okay. So turning it to you, Steve, you coached UT women's distance team, cross country and 5K, 10K on the track for seven years. As a man coaching women through these things, did you, how did you approach it with them? I had two basic approaches. <clears throat> Number one was to make sure that every athlete could talk to me and discuss it with me if they wanted to. They really didn't want to. Uh, my role there was kind of a benevolent uncle um, in terms of like sort of like a, not a dad, but a, a sort of dad figure who <clears throat> was cool and got along with them and didn't tell them what to do every minute of the day, right? So they didn't really want to talk to me about it too much, but they all knew right off the bat they could and that there was not necessarily an excuse built in, but an understanding that adjustments would need to be made. And once I did that, it was pretty amazing how I never heard about it ever again, ever. Nobody ever talked to me about it. <clears throat> Sometimes I would get a post-race excuse, um, and what I would do is just say, okay, that's a good reason, and move on, because it wasn't anything we could do anything about. As, as both Mallory and Jen are telling us, that it is what it is, you know, well, you don't you don't want to make it any worse than it actually is. Yeah. One thing that was really intriguing to me, and you know, I'm not I'm not going to try to I don't get it because I'm a I'm a man, but it was crazy. All the girls that lived in the dorm together, <gasps> all of them started to, to yes. they would have their their periods <laughs> at the exact same time. Yeah. It was awesome for me. Once I got <laughs> that figured out what their cycles were, I quit doing 21 day cycles and I started doing cycles on 28 days generally <laughs> <laughs> because it made a big difference. And then um, then I could actually kind of line up where their races were and how their races were. I didn't get it right all the time. But I almost never had a serious episode right before a national championship or a regional championship. And so it provided me with an opportunity to do that. It didn't work so well when they lived off campus. Even though many of them lived together, yeah. I couldn't coordinate. So there would be one house would have theirs <laughs> a week and a half or two weeks later. And, and, you know, they wouldn't really tell me. But you can tell the way that they respond to you as a coach on the track when they're just more irritable and yeah. more grumpy and, right. and, and it's like a headache, right? Yes. It's like right. someone who has a migraine. Do you know that they're working through it and the best yeah. thing to do is to not give them an excuse but but to also understand if there is one that to be to be cognizant of it. So that's sort of the way that I approached it and looked at it. Um, and honestly, you know, I also live and have run with a woman at Ruth England now for 15, 20, 15 years plus. And I don't think she's ever complained one time ever. So I also had that sort of, before I coached at UT, I had experience of living with her and realizing she not only had has really painful t 
time, but she also has really bad migraines and they get triggered by all the hormonal stuff. And so she is debilitated, but does not act in any way, shape or form as if she is. She's the fucking rock star at the end of the day, period, end of story. And so I already knew that it was, this is the best way to roll. So I had a great leader in that role of saying, don't make it be a thing unless they make it be a thing. And if it is a thing, then you deal, right? So. Well, and for the guys listening who train with women, I've trained with women for a long time and never once have I heard a single one of them complain about it or use it as an excuse. And yet it's happening every month. So obviously they've had races and workouts <laughs> where we've been together where it's happening, but I've never heard about it. And you have guys that are bagging off and using much you know, lamer excuses for not having results. It's like, come on, guys. Women are going through this once a month. And you don't hear a, you never hear a peep. And it's physiological stuff that would probably make most of us cry <laughs> if it happened once. That's why women are the tougher sex. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Anybody who thinks differently needs to get checked. <laughs> so <laughs> so let's let's talk about <laughs> the associated uh, iron deficiencies and anemia that might come with it, uh, especially if women aren't thinking about their iron levels and things like that. So, and I'll take this to you, Jen, because you've coached a lot of women mm-hmm. through these kinds of things. What do you recommend as it relates to iron? Well, I think first, uh, most women should go get their iron checked on a regular basis um, with your doctor just to make sure that you're not anemic or that you're borderline. And then if you are somewhat borderline or getting close, that you should definitely take an iron supplement. Um, I've always used a liquid iron because it goes into your body faster. Um, And I usually do one that's twice a day, so in the morning and then again in the evening. but you also have to, sometimes iron can make you constipated, and um, you have to also make sure that you're taking iron with vitamin C, and um, I learned this in college, don't take iron with, like, soda or, like... Coffee. Coffee, yeah, exactly. So just knowing um, the right way to take iron so that it absorbs properly, and then um, getting your iron checked, I think, is really important. Not just for women, though. I mean, men also have sometimes iron deficiencies anytime they're doing long distance training and as a coach I coach a lot of women Mm -hmm. and so sometimes when they come to me and they say I've been fatigued and usually I go through sort of a a list of are you getting enough sleep yeah are you running too fast in your workouts have you done more than I prescribed and if all those things are okay then potentially could be a blood you know blood issue and I tell them, go get your, you know, go get your levels checked across, you know, not just iron, but other things yeah, as well. Absolutely. What about for you, Mallory? Have you ever had issues with iron deficiency? No. I feel like everybody's going to hate me right now because I don't have cramps. <laughs> I'm I a perfect woman. <laughs> I don't get moody. <laughs> Are you on my husband? <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. Control? No. <laughs> So I really pretty much am not an yeah. expert on yeah. talking if about this. You don't okay. pee your pants. You really suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's later. <laughs> but I try to make sure I get all the iron and like leafy greens and yeah. diet. Um, I, we don't take supplements in our house, but, you know, unless there's a point in time that it's necessary. But I try to get away from regularly taking them. Um, I don't necessarily need them like iron it. What's your leafy green of choice? Chard. Kale. Chard. How do you cook it? Uh, scramble it and eggs. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Johnson's Backyard Garden will deliver it. I hear it's you have a healthy compost pile. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> doesn't always all get eaten. Well, because Paxson won't eat it, right? Because Paxson won't eat it. I actually <laughs> That's have. That's her son, by the way. I have this woman from Prep to Your Door coming over to our house, Heather, and she's going to come show me how to cook all of it. Because I basically awesome. only have one way that I know how to cook it, and my husband may be tired of eating eggs yeah. and chard. Eggs and chard. You know, Chris, one thing that my experience of having coached many people who have anemia um, or get an anemic at uh, in the middle of a training cycle, I had uh, one of my one of my very best athletes in terms of race performances over the years at UT. Um, she got anemic right before a pretty right after the NCAA championships and right before we went into some key races where we were trying to get her qualified. Um, and you know, it it takes at minimum two weeks to start to feel a bit better and then it takes another two weeks before you start to see sort of the results of your iron intake um and then it takes about another two weeks to be really kind of in a spot where you're where you're ready back ready to go um and during that time i think what many people do is they back off more than they should and in a in a, in a way that one of the the doctors that was uh seeing this athlete at ut told me consider it altitude training so basically consider the fact that you're in a position where you're not getting enough iron, so you're not getting the oxygen to your working right. muscles in the way that you need to. And while you shouldn't, you shouldn't go to the well, just like you wouldn't in altitude, when you train at altitude, you shouldn't be hammering and hammering and hammering at high altitude, but you should be still doing work. You just back the level off a little bit, but you continue to do the work. Maybe don't worry so much about the paces that you're trying to hit and really focus on continuing to stay with it to the best of your ability and know that's the reason why you're tired. It's not, it's not stress. It's not lack of sleep. It's not all these other things that could possibly be. You now know, check. I know exactly what it is. I'm taking care of it and I'll get to where I need to get. And for most marathoners, as long as this doesn't happen right at the end of the race cycle, they're going to be all right. And they can actually kind of flip the script a little bit and turn it into a training effect and a positive thing. So those folks who do get in that state of being anemic, we haven't talked about this yet in our, in any of this, in this podcast, but um, many people get anemic and you don't, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And most doctors are going to prescribe, and I am not a doctor, so please take that as a caveat, but they're going to be way conservative, way more conservative than my experience would tell a person to be. So, And it's important to know that men could have this issue too and so if you're feeling additional fatigue for any reason definitely get your blood checked you know, for me I had a vitamin D deficiency at going into Boston last year which partially contributed to my stress fracture during the race but it reminded me that I need to regularly get blood, my blood values checked when I'm in heavy training so not only do I then have my thresholds for what's sort of normal for me but also I'm able to check and see if there's variation that might be causing issues. So what did you do to counter that deficiency? I started supplementing. Yeah. Yeah. So now I take liquid drops every yeah. day. Unlike so. me, who basically takes his shirt off and runs through the woods <laughs> in the sun. But, you know, we're all that different. His, wi his wife, wife will, will kill me for that. that. <laughs> My wife will not allow that. <laughs> so so that's sort of blood level. Now, let's talk. Let's talk about birth control. Because obviously this is in some way related mm -hmm. and women that are on birth control can kind of normalize their cycle perhaps by using that as a tool. But talk about birth control and running. Is there anything that women should be thinking about there? Okay. Uh, so jump in, Jen. Yeah, you got I'll this. jump in. Okay. Uh, well, I think, I mean, I've been on different types of birth control. I've been on um, the pill and I've been on a depot shot and um, which I, 
didn't react very well to. I gained uh, about 10 pounds pretty quickly. And so I think just knowing that even if, y- if you get on birth control, you might need to kind of play with different ones to see which one reacts best to your body. Um, I personally don't like birth control. I stopped taking it many years ago. Um, and just because when I'm not on birth control, I'm pretty regular um, every 28 days. And I don't like putting something in my body that is um, that my body can regulate on its own. And I think that birth control doesn't always have to be put on a woman. Um, but I, 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 rec- right. yeah, sorry. <laughs> I wish they would have that pill for men. Men, men right? bring your condoms. <laughs> yes. So, but I have had athletes that have gotten on birth control and experienced, um, bad side effects. And so we get through that either by changing up their training for a, a brief period of time, or maybe trying something else that will work for them. Uh, but you can, when I was on the pill and I was in college, I would regulate when I would have my period um, based on certain, like if I had conference coming up and I didn't want to have my period, I would just continue on birth control and then I would um, take the placebo pills. I don't know if you're technically supposed to do that. I'm not a doctor. Women consult your doctor. Right. <laughs> but that's what I would do. And if you're going to change, if you're on birth control and you're going to change, don't change in the six to eight eight weeks prior to a race. Right. That's probably the most <laughs> important thing you could tell someone is they'll find what works for them and what doesn't work for them in the natural, normal process of living life. Um, but it's really crucial and critical not to make that change because so many variables need to be limited in terms of making the right decisions right before a race and not knowing and creating another factor, another variable that could be a problem for you without knowing it, it can be is, is problematic. So... Um, yeah, th- it might seem logical, but many people don't consider that as having an effect on what they're doing race-wise. Absolutely. So. And Mallory, you're the lucky one that is, I is not on it or not affected by it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wasn't having a great uh, experience with uh, birth control pills and didn't like the idea of putting that in my body, but apparently I was okay with putting a tiny piece of plastic in my body. So I have an <laughs> IUD okay. that is going to last for five years I think four years into it yep. we had one kid and <laughs> the wild child has filled the void of having 10 children I think um so that's kind of that's worked really really well for me I don't know if that works yep. well for everybody else but it's basically just I probably have like two periods a year now oh my god okay well I told you <laughs> you don't want to well. hear my input <laughs> well some people might want to get on our <laughs> AUD <laughs> now so maybe that input is important, <laughs> but I think the points are one that it's individual and you got to figure out what works for you. But two, also, if you're going to make a change to what you're using for birth control, then plan for that in the context of your training. So you're not making a change in the midst of a really important training period. And yes, uh, men, period, period. <laughs> yes, men, <laughs> right. That was no pun intended until you guys did that. <laughs> and yes, men, take your own responsibility in the context of birth control and, you know, buy and bring your own condoms so women don't have to worry about it themselves. There you go. Now, let's get to another uncomfortable topic, infections. We were we were doing our prep for this yeah. and creating an outline. You told me some great stories about bladder infections <laughs> and least in, yeast infections. These are, <laughs> these are infections that don't typically... Kind of, we have to, that men don't typically have to deal with. Yeah. So you had a great tip on bladder infections and how to avoid those because there's nothing like an infection to, inf- <laughs> to get in the way of your training. So yes. what's your big tip on bladder infections? 
Uh, my big tip on bladder infections is to pee after you have sex. And that way you don't get an infection. Because that's how most of them start is you're, you don't pee afterwards. <laughs> you got to pee. That's man, what my doctor told solved. me. Man, you have sickness in you and you <laughs> make women and, <laughs> and, and, you're, and you're infecting women. No, my, my doctor Get told me he Go was pee. like, you know, it's like there's all these fluids and they're all involved. <laughs> and sometimes those fluids. You just got to get them out yeah, of there. Yeah. So you got to pee. Or shower. Does showering? No. Oh, no? You have to Unless pee. Unless you pee in the shower. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just got to pee in the shower. Pee in the shower. Pee after Now, we sex. know you guys do that. So just, you know. No one. <laughs> no. Okay. So <laughs> go pee. And just then obviously pee. if you get a bladder infection, go to the doctor. Absolutely. Get on Immediately. medicine. What about yeast infections? <laughs> have either of you ever dealt with one of those? Yeah, so I did in college. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. Mallory's not a Mallory <laughs> <laughs> has a smooth I, sailing over there. Okay. So, so you had it in college. Yes, I had a, I had my first yeast infection in college, and um, I went to the drugstore and bought something over the counter, and it didn't react very well for me personally, and so then I had to go to what we called the quack shack and get um, – oh. I forgot the name of the prescription drug, but that worked really well. And yep. um, luckily, I don't get yeast infections, which is weird because I don't even eat yogurt. And they say to eat yogurt if you have a yeast, if you're like prone to yeast infections. But um, but I don't get them very often. But you should always shower after <laughs> you run. <laughs> you should. Shower, I know that sounds pee. weird, but you know, like <laughs> I know men that and women that don't shower for a couple of days after they're running and they should shower are they in relationships <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not <laughs> but you also mentioned too that it was really important to make sure if you have a situation like that you go see your doctor absolutely get to med- get yeah. medical advice quickly mm-hmm. um and get on and off the drugs that you need to to get that fixed and um get back to being normal and well, live and running and training normally. And for some women, um, they get yeast infections when they're on an antibiotic for maybe a different infection. So, um, because those antibiotics really mess with your bacteria levels and your and the basically your yeast. And so, um, if you are on an antibiotic and then you get a yeast infection, and I mean, I I would recommend just going straight to the doctor as opposed to using over the counter medication consult your doctor mm-hmm. okay now let's switch gears a little bit Yay. from infections <laughs> to pregnancy i've been pregnant we've got two <laughs> <laughs> experienced mothers <laughs> here uh <laughs> valerie has one jen has two yeah. boys all boys all boys yep and so talk about training through pregnancy my my wife ran all the way through her pregnancy, I think, till a week before all of them were born. And, uh, you know, but tell us about your experiences. I'm the opposite of your badass wife. Okay. I decided that it was just like, an ex- I talk about not using it as an excuse. I just wanted to not run. Just like see what it was like to not run for seven, eight months. So I probably ran one or two months into my pregnancy and then just stopped. And I paddle boarded and I did Pilates and I did all this other. It made me kind of go explore other things. But not because it was uncomfortable, but just because I kind of felt like it was a good excuse to go explore other things. So I stopped running. But you were still active. But still very active. And it worked out the day that he was born. And and just like with everything else, never used being pres- pregnant as an excuse for eating 
poorly or basically just tried to kind of forget I was pregnant and do what I would normally do. I'm, I don't have the luxury of not being active and exercising because I have to coach and I have to teach classes. So I was still working out once or twice a day, just not running. Yep. How about you for you, Jen? So I was also coaching, but I was not doing the same kind of coaching. I was coaching high school kids and, um, I was still coaching. I remember coaching and doing leg swings and teaching drills um, and doing all of that the day before I went into labor with Miles. Um, I didn't necessarily run every single day. I did run, um, but I just shortened up how much. Like, I didn't run as far. I was only running about three or four miles a day. Um, And sometimes I would walk if it was hot or if I didn't feel great. Um, but I also didn't change my diet. I didn't use it as an excuse to eat a lot of food. I would get full really quickly. Um, and I probably became more obsessive about what I was putting into my body because I knew it was for someone else. Um, and so I like didn't drink coffee and didn't of course do alcohol, even though I know now you apparently can, can, but I didn't. And I like ate more walnuts because they said that that helps like the baby's brain. So I just went totally overboard with food. But you were also active. I was very active. Yeah. And again, we've we've got Dr. Gucci trains Mm -hmm. with us and Team Rogue has taken or at least help. He's an OBGN. He's taken a lot of our Team Rogue women through the process. And he always says a healthy mom is a healthy baby. So it's important to stay active. Yeah. Of course, consult your doctor. And if you have issues, obviously consult your doctor and work through them with him or her. But, but staying active is an important part of being healthy as a mother and health keep, you know, having a healthy child. I think you should also listen to your body and be mindful of it's changing and, um, you're not supposed to lift as much. Um, that was one lesson that I learned when I was I was pregnant with Mason, my second child, and I was at a track meet and I was swinging um, my oldest who was about two years old and I was swinging him around and uh, didn't think anything of it didn't think about his weight and then the next morning when I woke up I couldn't lift I couldn't actually straighten myself up I had strained the ligaments down below because I was eight months pregnant swinging a toddler so I think you do have to be mindful you have to remember hey I am pregnant and I can't do everything I was I was doing before um, so, you know, just be mindful of that. So I have an experience with an athlete recently who I coached who is the a complete antithesis of Mallory from the way that she approached it. I think she ran, I know for a fact, two marathons, if not three in the context of her pregnancy, one of which was Boston with, uh, at a point where I, I still am in shock that she was able to complete the distance and to do what she did. But I think that that's kind of the point that, again, while we're talking about women's issues, the resounding theme that we're talking about here is just take it individually, look at what's right and appropriate for you as we do with all things, and then consult proper medical personnel and then make sure you've got a plan that matches the kind of lifestyle and the kind of focus that you want. And it can be from the extreme of not running but once or twice in an entire eight-month cycle to running and have running a marathon, you know, a month before, a month and a half before you actually deliver. So it, there's a lot of different options for a lot of different people. But again, I think Mallory's point is the same, reiterating the same point we made many, many times, which is no excuses, continuing to function um, to the best of your ability, 
as a human being mm-hmm. and um you know going from there i mean everybody's case is so different so as long as you're just listening to your body and doing what you should do. I mean, your peri- everybody's period is different from person to person. Everybody's pregnancy is different from person to person. The worst thing I feel like you can do is put your rules or your experience on somebody and make them feel like that's what they should expect. The worst thing that happened to me before my pregnancy or during was that people were like, well, you should be running. You know you can run. I'm like, I don't want to run. Back off. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are like, well, don't get a C-section. Well, C-section is the only way to go. Just like, hey, just back off. We're, we should all be way more supportive and less judgmental about <laughs> each other. Yeah. Well, and everybody has their labor horror stories that they want to project exactly. on you as well. So talk about, well, at least post-pregnancy getting back. So I'm going to ask you, wor- did you deliver vaginally or via C-section? A natural vaginal birth. Okay. And Jen? Vaginally. Same. Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting back to activity after that, because that's tough. (laughs) I mean, there's stitches involved sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think men really realize the damage (laughs) (laughs) that vaginal delivery can do. And that it takes time to kind of get things back together. And sometimes you're different forevermore. So talk about that. And, And for you, how did it work resuming activity? I mean, aside from just the stitches, you know, will go away. That's very superficial. It's painful and it is uncomfortable, but you know that it's going to heal. It's, it was, for me, the harder part was like that my, ac- my pelvis shifted, that there was pain in my pubic bone that wouldn't go away when I was running, that I didn't feel like, like I felt like my core wasn't holding my organs in anymore. I mean, that's a gross way to think about yeah. it, but it was like, things were just like looser. I like built a home in my stomach for something and it's not that easy for your body to just go right back as active as I'd been and as healthy as I'd been eating. And it's, I still went to a bunch of PT and tried to get this pubic bone thing taken care of because basically my pelvis had moved around a little bit and it was hard to get it to settle back in. And there's still things that I deal with all the time. There's still some pain there. There's still like peeing on myself when I run just that's become a norm. <laughs> like, yeah, it, yeah it, it sucks. And that's just, <laughs> there are muscles that have been loosened and mm-hmm. will never do their job the same. Well, again. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> they'll do their job. Well, I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> not, I mean, like, don't dog on those muscles. Yeah. They're you doing their I mean. best. <laughs> They're good muscles. <laughs> They're good muscles. But you have things that are permanently different for yes, you. Yes. Yeah, you do. And what about for you, Jen, getting back yeah. to running, how long did it take? Um, after the first one, probably longer. And then this after Mason, the second one, um, I went back to work after three weeks because cross-country season had started. And I just started running with the team, even though I wasn't really... I think my doctor didn't release me until six weeks, but I started after three weeks. And it was fine. It's about where I was. It was, yeah. four weeks. It was okay. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> you feel like flabby and you just don't feel you like yourself, but it... it Eventually, everything gets back to normal. It takes several years, but it does get back to normal. Except for the peeing on yourself. That never goes away. That just sucks. For life. So what? What do you do? Do you? Oh does God. it matter? Do you just let it happen? I mean, <laughs> hydrate effectively. Yeah. <laughs> oh, screw <laughs> Hydrate <laughs> no. well. Almost dehydrate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if you dehydrate, everyone will know. If you <laughs> hydrate effectively, people really won't know. I it just makes running in the rain. Ultimately, it's just a little water and nitrogen, right? I mean, who cares? Yeah, exactly. You can drink it <laughs> if absolutely necessary. <laughs> it's not that gross. It's not a big deal. I so you're saying you don't make a big deal out of it? 
Well, I, I don't really make a big deal about it, but uh, I'll tell you, I run with guys and I have to pee a lot. Like I have to like, hey, I'm going to stop after two seconds and I have to pee. And it's only like the first mile or so. And then or it's pee on myself. It's one or the other. It's That's this unfair to... dilemma is like, OK, right. we, we did the Canadian death race and one mile in because they only have like five porta potties for these 2000 runners, whatever. And at mile one, all the guys are pulling off to the side and peeing. It's like, right. wait a second. Where's my spot? I don't really want to moon everybody. Right. So what my options are to hike into the woods, pee and come back, to expose myself and pee on the side of the trail, or to pee on myself. Which did you choose? C. <laughs> <laughs> All things men don't have to think about. No. There is a double standard there, by the way. Yeah. I mean, women should be able to just squat and do it anywhere, too, like men peeing against the wall or, <laughs> you yeah. know, against a tree somewhere. Yeah. I'll never forget standing on a starting line with Ruth at one point in time and I dip down to one knee and pull it out and pee on the side and she dips down to one knee and pulls her, her shorts over and does the same thing. Yep. Um, mine is makes a little less splashing and a little less problem for me. Um, hers yeah. wasn't able to be quite controlled, but she was like, it's a lot better than peeing on my side. It was like literally no problem. I'm just moving on. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. get used to it. Yeah. I mean, she told me she'd done that at multiple marathons and Ironmans where at the starting line when you're, you know, in, the, in, in Ironmans, it doesn't matter. You're in the water, right? So right. it doesn't yeah. really matter. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it was an eye opener for me. It's like, no, this is, it can't, men don't get it. But women, there are women who basically, they just make it work. So, uh, you know, it. And let them make it work, guys. Yeah, don't look <laughs> over and go, oh, whatever, <laughs> you know. Don't judge or think it's, it's weird. You're peeing against things all the time <laughs> yeah. that are ridiculous. Right. Okay, so. I mean, unless you're into that thing. Some people are into that <laughs> thing. <laughs> we won't be talking Boy. about golden showers yeah. <laughs> on the podcast, Steve. You've already Sorry. dropped the first. I'm not into You've already it, dropped the first F-bomb <laughs> of running rogue history. All right, so. <laughs> So you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. You knew it was it's coming. Honestly, I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> okay, so let's switch gears and talk about training. We've already talked about it a little bit in our midst with some of the health-related topics. Let's talk about training, and we talked about nutrition a little bit already, but nutrition and body image and fueling are a big part of some of the things that women deal with, maybe in a different context than men. So talk about that. Have either of you ever personally dealt with, you know, body image issues or eating disorder types of things or, you know, temptations on on? I mean, I think we'd be lying if we said no, because, of course, we're human. One, we're women. Second. Right. Right. So, okay, Yeah. Yeah, of course. And there are intimidating groups of people to run with. And I went from running with the trail group that runs in shirts to running with team rogue that runs shirtless. And I describe myself as like the person wearing a shirt <laughs> um, just because I don't want to have to think about what maybe it looks like from behind, but that's ridiculous. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm working with, uh, working with one of Steve's athletes and I like that she was like, look, I don't care what I look like. I just want to be fast. And if we could all get to that place and maybe it comes and goes, we're human, but if we can all get to this place, we're like, healthy is sexy and that nobody like you know i once saw this scale of like you know imagine an image of 10 women drawn out right one is super skinny and one and 10 is obese and women were asked which one do you think is the most attractive and they would circle like number two or three 
and men would circle like four or five. So for, you know, not ultimately our goal in life is not to please men, but you know, if that's look at what they think sexy is and healthy is sexy. And if we can get to a place where just fast is hot, don't worry about, you know, we, I feel like women need to be careful about again, like how judgy we are. And if, Right. Like across the board, we worry more about cellulite than guys do because you don't necessarily have it. And you guys were more worry more about balding because it's what you guys worry about versus cellulite. So if we can all be way more supportive of each other, then I think we'd help each other out. But also realize that we all have cracks. And there are days where I'm like, well, just like don't look in the mirror. It's not good for you. Just like go remember how fast you are and how good you feel. Jen. Yes. Uh, So I have probably a different experience just because I uh, grew up in the 90s running competitively and uh, early 90s. And I had a high school coach that told me to lose weight every year. Um, And my entire team had an eating disorder. Um, One girl had to drop out of college because she was so bulimic. Um, It was really sad. And uh, then I got to college and I was told to lose 10 pounds immediately. And both were female coaches. Um, and so, and in college, this, it was the same, it was the same thing. Uh, there were girls living off slim fast and taking ripped fuel and passing out of practice. And it was, that was what I grew up with. And so I never had an eating disorder, but only because I don't like throwing up and I really like food. Um, or maybe it was because I don't have, um, I'm, I tend to be more even keel and not, I know Steve probably wouldn't agree with that, but I tend to be more balanced and uh, I don't know why I didn't end up with one, but I didn't, but I sure as hell had body image issues um, for a really long time. I thought I was fat and I wasn't, I was beautiful and healthy and sexy and um, much thinner than I am now. And I thought I was fat for a really long time and it took having kids and realizing that um, how I view myself as how they're also going to view themselves and how important it was to change the way I view myself and to learn how to just be thankful and of what my body's capable of doing and to love my body. As, as a coach who works with a lot yeah. of women, how do you talk to someone who's struggling with this? So um, I have a good family friend who's a therapist and she works with women who have eating disorders and she works with men who have eating disorders and have body image issues and the message that she gave me I just continue to preach and it's to be thankful of what your body can do and focus on being strong and being healthy like Mallory said and to be appreciative of your body and to not tear yourself down and that starts with just how you verbally talk about yourself so you need to like I personally have had to change the way I talk about myself and talk about myself in a positive way and say nice things about myself and to myself as opposed to negative things. Because it's really easy to do. It's really easy to say, oh, I'm slow. Oh, I'm fat. And have this weird competition that a lot of women have with each other of like, oh, I hate myself more than you hate yourself. And um, so just trying to be aware of that and change that. Steve, you coached. Oh, I have extensive college. <laughs> I have extensive women. experience in this area, not personally. Although I will tell you, I do have experience with it personally because I had a coach that weighed me mm-hmm. in in college, and men 
if you are still listening to us, I know some mm-hmm. of you guys are borderline eating disordered, and it it this is a question not mm-hmm. of eating disordered eating is I learned this at, in my experience at UT because we had some of the most amazing um, doctors and therapists available to us because Texas, um, as as you know, Jen, mm-hmm. Texas has had for many years a huge problem. Absolutely. One of one of Jen's coaches was an athlete who ran at the University of Texas who had major issues within this regard. And Texas had a an, um, um, a crazy epidemic on its hands in the 90s when I went there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had it on the men's side as well as the women's side. But the, but the point I'm trying to make is that disordered eating is really a psychological issue. It's not a physical issue. It gets treated initially kind of as a physical issue because frequently when people get to the point where they're really obvious that they're disordered, there's a real problem. I mean, their bodies are breaking down. They can't mm-hmm. hold themselves up. They have, they have bone stress issues on, to a point that they're really medically in a really bad spot. But it's a psychological issue. It's a control issue. And I was I had a great mentor to help teach me how to balance that. And um, in my exp- I had I had two or three really traumatic cases. Um, and I also had three or four cases at UT who, where people walked away um, in an incredible position where they had their best races later in their life. So my approach was I was also not allowed at the University of Texas to talk about nutrition. That was the pr- because of the challenges that happened in the mid-90s at UT. I was required to, to only discuss, to not discuss nutrition in any way, shape, or form, which really, hand, which really hamstrings a coach because it's such a crucial piece of what you talk about, especially at that age. But so I did what I only could do, which was to talk to people about their lives and then to take the advice that they said that this is a control issue and they couldn't stop me from talking about control stuff. So I would just work with what were they controlling that day academically? What were they controlling that day in their athletic world? What were they controlling that day with a major relationship they had, whether with a with a girlfriend or a boyfriend? And then they would open up to me to the point where basically I could just repeat this mantra, which I use all the time, and it's a Team Rogue mantra, and it comes from my experience at UT from disordered eating. It's called healthy, happy, strong. People who coach work with me, they'll hear me talk about it all the time. If you're healthy, if you're happy, and if you're strong on all three of those fronts, you're rocking down the road. If any one of those is out of kilter or out of out of whack, then you have a real problem. Um, and especially when it comes to disordered eating, they can say no, no, and no, right, in those three questions. Mm-hmm. So then you can kind of say, okay, if it's healthy, no. Well, obviously the doctors are involved. We're at a bad spot. If it's happy is involved, well, then – there's an issue about control and how you control yourself and what's going on with control and what pieces you can start to add control to like tell your boyfriend no or do this instead of that or study at wake up at I would there was one girl who I told her she wanted she thought she was supposed to wake up at six and I would say wake up at 630 and then the next two weeks or three weeks later she would come and I say wake up at 530 and she's like you're telling me different things I'm saying no you're in control Tell your body you're in control. So she got to control little tiny things, and we just worked on little tiny patterning processes to try to get her to the point where she got it. This girl started her career, was the best freshman best freshman performance at the NCAA championships in cross country, which means her first year as a freshman coming out of a serious disordered eating episode of her life, like multi-year thing. Did not take took her until her senior year in college to get back into a position, and she was a scorer at the Big Twelve Championship in cross in, in track and field, which is even harder. So this person had a full circle event based on that experience, and at the end of it, she said to me, "Healthy, happy, strong." Like that's gave me a big hug and said, "Healthy, happy, strong." So 
I know for a fact that those words matter and that it is really a lot what Jen said. You know, I, I've made this a couple of times about this Saturday Night Live skit with Stuart Smalley where <laughs> I love myself. I love myself. But you know what? Fake it till you make it. Start Absolutely. where you got to start. and. Yep. Get to the place where healthy, happy, strong is something you're thinking about consciously, and you'll move down the road to a mm -hmm. place of being healthy. And I think, as as Mallory said at the beginning, we're all a bit disordered. Every distance runner out there is disordered because our sport is based upon being as lean as possible to get the fastest time we can, and we're all dealing with it, whether we're whether we're, whether we're in an obese situation or we're actually in a disordered eating situation. So. Finding that balance and getting yourself right. Get medical attention, though, and then get psychological help. Like, I right. did the best I could, but both those athletes were also seeing a psychologist because that was a requirement for their process. So I won't say that the psychologist was always the most effective tool because I, I feel like a lot of times people need a real person in their life, but um, it's important to get help, and mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. It's also important to remember the dialogue around this because for men, I think it's different because the standard is different. I hear people tell me that I'm too skinny more often than anything else. And that's sort of a silly thing, right? It's like, oh, I'm too skinny. What do you mean I'm too skinny? <laughs> I'm a distance runner. That's what I'm supposed to be. But I hear that for me more than anything. But the pressure for women is the other way. It's that you're not skinny enough. Would they say Oftentimes. the same thing to you if they thought you were too fat? No. No. I, th I think the standard is different. Yeah. Pe society looks at men and wherever they are from a weight perspective and oftentimes pushes a skinny distance runner guy to add weight to fit in and to be normal mm -hmm. women whether it's explicit right. and direct or implicit and implied by all the the pressures that we get from pictures and media and magazines covers that you're never skinny enough yeah and For so i think that's why a lot of women deal with it or at least have pressures differently than men mm. but the men that are listening you need to understand that words are important and how they talk about this is really important and just to be hyper aware that it's about healthy happy strong and not about anything else the other thing is that it's not about the eating most of the time like you said it's about control and power and i think a lot of people when they find someone maybe they have someone close to them that they find out has an eating disorder or suspect might have an eating disorder they think it's about the food and so they just tell them to eat more and as someone you know i had a bulimic girlfriend in college and I was the only one who knew about it at the time when she started having trouble and so I had to get educated on it fairly quickly and and uh, my initial reactions were always wrong it's like I just need to get her to eat and not throw it up when it really wasn't about that it was about control and power and and some things in her past that had caused issues with control and power and so anyway understand when you're dealing with someone that it's not about that right. and that you need to get help and seek professional attention because no individual is going to be able to help someone through that especially if they're at the stage of being unhealthy I, I will say that the most disordered eating athlete i've ever had was a male though so right. men, yeah, so, men don't, so men don't don't think it's just that so absolutely yeah. so switching gears a little bit positive to a to a more <laughs> positive let's talk about sh let's talk about strength since we we talked about happy healthy strong let's talk about strength women's bodies are shaped a little bit differently we talked about post-pregnancy what can happen so is there anything from a strength training perspective that women should be thinking about in the context of their running or training that is different or that they need to be doing more of or that they need to be worried about 
Mallory, I'll turn that to yeah. you since you're our resident strength expert. I don't coach my women runners any differently than I coach my men runners. For the most okay. part, they all need stronger hips and <laughs> glutes and core. And just because maybe, I mean, I think, you know, your mind goes to thinking like, oh, well, women need to work more on their hips. I don't, I feel like that's always a kind of a, I don't know, because women have like bigger hips, we think we need to work <laughs> them out more. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I can't think of how I treat either one differently. Um, always working on like power and, and connecting the mind with what they're doing. And I've worked with Terranova a little bit on this and it's been fun to kind of, I trained him for a series of these Friday workouts where I tried to like make his brain focus on what muscles are firing and try to switch that around without switching the movement around. And um, now with one of Steve's athletes, I'm going to start doing that too. And she's female. So kind of see how that works in with both genders we've had success with I've had success with a male client we'll see with her as well it's all so individual though I mean it's like this massive spectrum you don't I don't really have ever so no taken difference. gender into consideration so no difference. So much. that's good to know I think and informative so just don't worry about it yeah <laughs> you be you yeah <laughs> and work on your weaknesses okay uh Jen anything there from a coaching perspective that you would I just have more women um, that complain about the the glu- the hips more. I know it's. I know oh you're my. looking at me. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, they they just tend to maybe because the men don't complain. I don't know. They just they have usually um, their hips are their glutes are w- their glutes are weaker. Yeah. So. Potentially. Potentially. Maybe it's just the women you're maybe, talking about. Maybe it's just the whip. Maybe I have more women than I could. I don't know. No. I did have a guy today, though, tell me that his chronic injury is weak, weak hips and glutes. So The moral of the story is if you're a distance <laughs> runner, work on hip yes. glute strength. <laughs> and your core. And your core, regardless of whether you're male or female, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the basically theme. what we're yes. saying. I do have women, though, that come to me and say, like, I want to work out with you and put on muscle, but, like, I don't want to bulk up. As if yeah. they, like, could okay. accidentally fall asleep and wake up with massive biceps as if the women who are bodybuilders just that just happened to them those women <laughs> try really really hard to gain that muscle mass right. you will not gain that muscle mass on accident i think that's super important what you just said because i have heard i want to be lean but yes, not bulky yes what yes. does that mean i don't want to <laughs> look like a man i just want to be so yeah. let's just not do shrugs is basically what they're saying i mean it's like which okay, I won't give you a massive neck. But the <laughs> but the protocols that you put into place in terms of the strength training that you do, Mallory, and that you guys do with at Rail, um, it's all designed to functionally produce the best athlete possible. And a bol- we've all seen a ma- we've all seen a bodybuilder run, and it is not a good look, right? right. So there's nothing nothing good about that, and um, it's a it's just a false dichotomy it's a false they just don't get it right and if they just did some work they would begin to realize really quickly so right. i'm sure what you just do is say okay yeah you won't and then move trust on trust me yeah. right, trust me and people throw around the term functional so much and it's funny because like what does it mean because if a guy's doing seated bicep curls is that functional training well if he's trying to curl more it's absolutely functional training so it's <laughs> if just he's doing 12 ounce curls it might, if he's doing 12 ounce curls uh, whatever you want to accomplish right <laughs> so for the most part just think about what you want to generally accomplish before you go into any kind of weight training and then tell your coach that or or research it under that umbrella of like 
what can I do? Are you ultimately trying to stay injury free? Are you trying to have more power? Are you trying to do both? Are you trying to just get faster? Are you trying to put on more muscle mass? Because those are all different. They're all different ways to train to accomplish each of those. Plus, you come in with your own individual weaknesses and strengths, so you Absolutely. gotta tailor and those. Everybody's to asymmetrical, and now we have to take that into consideration. <laughs> okay, switching gears slightly. So, we wanted to make a PSA to all the men that are still listening. Hopefully, you are. That when you're training or or running with women, don't be offended if if somebody blows by you and passes you, especially men in Austin on the trail, because there's a lot of badass women. I train with them, and it. It is not in the least a shot on my ego if one of them kicks my ass in a workout. But yet for so many men, that's a struggle. And I think sometimes women kind of goad that on because they they end up racing men because they know that it's getting to them. So let's talk about this. Jen, you you were talking about it in the context of your training and racing. We've talked about it on the trail. What do you have to say? I would would say um, just focus on you. And men, you too, just focus <laughs> on you. Um, but no, I mean, I think that I think what I said uh, uh, when before we did the podcast was that I feel like women are ultimately uh, sometimes more competitive than men, even though we do it in a silent sort of way. And we s- compete with each other and it's not healthy sometimes. And we also tend to compete with men. Um there's been times when I was pushing my kids in a baby jogger on the trail and there was a little like ego boost to, <laughs> to pass a man, um, which is totally ridiculous. But I, I did it. But it's real. It yeah. is real. <laughs> and it, you it left happened. the guy in the wake. <laughs> it happened. Um, no, I just, uh, I would say a more healthy version would be to just focus on, on you and what you're doing to improve yourself. Don't it race. is a real thing. <laughs> Don't race in training. Just Do you think it's derogatory if somebody says that if you beat them to say that they got chicked? I don't think it's derogatory, but it's a little annoying. Yeah. It's annoying. It's, it's like f- sexist. Right. It's, it's derogatory. There's no, there's okay. no, it's misogynistic. <laughs> there's no way to, yeah, there's no way to say it's not. It's but, misogynistic for but sure. But I, I have used that term frequently in my group because I think it. I'm so proud of the way that the women in my group run and so I use it as a way of empowerment, which is a twisted, misogynistic way, right? It's not. I, it's sort of a. I'm not sure if I should do it, but I also know it really, really works. Jason's had a girl in front of him, and I'm like, dude, you're gonna get chicked if yeah. you don't pick it up. Like, right. So it just you depends know. on how you use it. Correct. But it is also. But it's. But it is basically n- probably not the most appropriate thing. I, w- I want to give you guys an example of when I first started coaching at the University of Texas. I had a phenomenally talented athlete in my very first year. Uh, well, many phenomenally talented athletes, but one of them is particularly competitive individual, and she would get on Town Lake Hike and Bike Trail and run. She had a class that sometimes would not allow her to run at the same time the rest of the team did. So she would get on the trail kind of on her own, and this athlete was super competitive. I mean, probably the most competitive person I've ever been around in my whole life. Yeah. And she <laughs> absolutely could not um, – she couldn't back down. And so she would get on the trail. We, we would, I would always send them to Town Lake Trail because I thought at the time that they would be running relaxed and easy on a soft surface, mm-hmm. a beautiful afternoons. It would be awesome. And she basically was racing almost every single day when she got on the trail because one guy would try to hold her off. And then she would race him. And she's, you know, she's a six, she was 15, 16 minute, 1550, 5K runner at the time. 
And believe me, there are not too many of those guys out on the trail. <laughs> no. So, but as soon as she passed the next one and went up to the next 18 minute douchebag guy, right? <laughs> she would <laughs> drop him too. But she would go, he would go with her for mm-hmm. 400 or 600 or 800 meters. Yeah. And it would happen over and over and over again. And finally, I banned her. I was like, you're off the trail. Like, I don't know what's going on. She could, we would go back to the trail and do a, t- a four mile tempo run. And she couldn't run six-minute pace. I'm like, there's no reason why you can't run six-minute mile pace for four miles when I know what you're capable of running. Realizing later that if I had had a Strava or had a heart rate monitor or some other way to track what her training really was, I would have been seeing these giant spikes. These fart, Basically, she was doing an incredibly difficult fart look on a day-to-day basis. So it, 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 number one, it shows how many douchebag men there are out there. But it also shows <laughs> how women are very, very much more competitive in a lot of ways as Jen and I were talking offline about this than men actually are in some cases Um, the men it's just an ego thing for the women it's much more sort of a primal I can win too thing it's not about an ego it's more about winning and beating and fighting Mm -hmm. and showing so it's a really interesting thing but ladies let the men go because they're just being dumb and (laughs) men quit being such so stupid right i mean basically that's it, it was an incre- it was really eye-opening it was my first two years of coaching that i finally it took me two years to realize it. that's just how stupid i am <laughs> but i was like why is this person not producing in races and then I, I i think i went and ran with her one day and i saw what was going on i was like oh i, I should have seen this coming from a mile mile away mm-hmm. yeah. guys no creeping up on the women <laughs> it's just it is it's stupid <laughs> misogynistic let them go be proud and if they're wearing a team rogue shirt you're going to get dropped anyway so leave it alone (laughs) all right let's quickly talk about safety because i think this is something unfortunately that probably impacts women more than men out there when they're running alone or at night or in any context so what are your tips mallory for running safety for women i don't run alone at night um i mean if i'm going to go there's definitely some times where the only, you know, as I'm, I'm a mom, the only time I really have available to go is late at night. And if I do that, then it's always with somebody else. And whether it's running from 7 p.m. to midnight or 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, I never, ever run with headphones. I'm always hyper aware of what's around me. I know my exits. I know kind of just my bearings. I mean, I'm out on the trail, so there's a little more of that um, – Nobody's going to drive by and see anything happen. So I'm always with somebody else. I also always tell at least Jason where I'm running. My predicted times when I'm going to be done. And I feel like if I tell him I'm going to be done at 6 a.m. and I'm not calling, he's going to come out there and find whoever has taken me. And you would not want to run into Jason. (laughs) It's her husband. Track you down. I do the same. Well, I definitely let someone know where I'm going if I'm going to go by myself. But I do a lot of runs on my own. um, And I've done a lot of runs on my own at night. Uh, I try to also be hyper aware of my surroundings, never wear headphones, um, run in well. For me, I don't run on the trails, so I run in well-lit areas. Um, And I've always felt like neighborhoods, for whatever reason, are safer because I can always, like, go ram on someone's door if I'm in a situation where I'm not... Uh, feeling safe or I could hide Uh, but I just pay attention to the cars and to everything that's around me what about carrying pepper spray or something like that have you ever done that yeah I have Uh, when I was in college my mom made me carry pepper spray uh, and I never used it luckily but I heard that from a from a police officer that you actually are more likely to use it on yourself in a fight than on someone who's attacking you. 
Spray yourself? Yeah. Oh. Because you just get scared and you yeah. freak out and you don't really know how to use it. And if you haven't practiced That's why I don't it, carry a gun. I'd shoot right. myself. <laughs> I don't. I can't, I'd bring my own secret service agent. But I could poke some guys one. out. I mean, I, I could I could hurt someone. And I'm if not something <laughs> happens, fight like hell. Scream. Absolutely. Yeah. Fight back. Always, always scream. One of my clients was one of the green belt. Uh, she was raped by one of the green belt rapists. Um, she was one of the victims. And just like hearing her story and how it happened and how she was basically running and he just came at her from the side and just tackled her. And she didn't know what was coming. And having that kind of sense of fear is healthy. And not to think that you're safe out there. And always listen to your intuition. Yes. If a yeah. guy looks creepy, yeah. he's probably Always creepy. listen to your intuition because that's powerful. Well, and women's intuition, in my experience, is a heightened awareness Absolutely. that's beyond what men can even understand. Right. And so you all have an ability to sort of pick up on biorhythms or other things that are going on that yeah. then are typically not in tune with. So, uh, yes, women do that for sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. So I think what we've learned over the last hour and 20 minutes is that women are definitely the better sex. Check. <laughs> I'm in agreement with that. Yeah. I've said it a million times. Women are women rule the world. Men just don't know it yet. <laughs> and we've got two of the most badass among them with us here, Jen and Mallory. Thank you for talking about these Thank you. topics with us. Hopefully we've got both women and men still listening to us, although we might have scared the men off <laughs> <laughs> from the very first We lost them a while ago in that first question. Period, yes. So anyway, thanks to you for joining us. We really Thank appreciate you. it. And of course, thanks everybody for, um, for listening. This is episode 16 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out on iTunes. You can also find us on the website, roguerunning.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Rogue Running. We'll talk to you next time. Later, later. Say it. Bye. <laughs>